This episode of Rule Breaker Investing is brought to you by Sure Payroll. Now, if you're a small business owner, you know payroll and payroll taxes can be a headache. Well, Sure Payroll has changed that by simplifying payroll services with just three easy steps entirely online. To learn more, visit surepayroll.com/fool and you'll get a free quote. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. All right, it's the end of the month. Well, just about. Well, at least as close as this podcast will get to the end of month. It's taped on January 24th. We're out to you January 25th, the final Wednesday of January. I hope your month has been as good as mine, and mine's been pretty good. So I hope yours has been good too. And talk about the month. This was a month of mailbag items. We have never had such a stuffed mailbag here at Rule Breaker Investing. I'm delighted by it. I'm going to try to share out as much as I can in our time together this week. I'm going to go through a lot of them probably pretty quickly. And that doesn't even include near the end when I share back all of the great stocks that don't make you think. Your stock ideas, which came over Twitter by my request last week, and I have a bunch of them, all kind of one-liners about why it's a great stock. So that's a highlight near the end. So we have a lot to cover. Without further ado, let's get started. Mailbag item number one. This one comes from my friend Troy Springer. Troy is a junior at the University of Richmond. He's definitely made it to mailbag before. Troy, I loved your note. I just want to read it and thank you for it. You wrote, David, I just wanted to send you a quick note thanking you for your podcast. I'm amazed by your recent lineup of guests. They've all been fantastic. I really think your podcast is a very valuable teaching tool for all sorts of people. I enjoy the diversity of subjects that are not solely finance-related, yet you relate it back together in an elegant fashion. I think the reason I'm drawn to the stock market, and by the way, this is really why I'm reading Troy's note. It's It's full of Nice words, and I really do appreciate the positivity, Troy, but this is what I loved about your note. You wrote, I think the reason I'm drawn to the stock market is that it is really a huge intersection of all sorts of subjects. And if you can understand the business behind these subjects, and more importantly, the people behind the business, you can do well. Full stop. I'm going to finish that as a note, but that is so, I'm going to reread that because it's so true, so well put, better than I would have put it myself. Again, he said, I think the reason I'm drawn to the stock market is that it's really a huge intersection of all sorts of subjects. And if you can understand the business behind these subjects, and more importantly, the people behind the business, you can do well. He goes on to say, I think your podcast, Even the Motley Fool, is the essence of that. He wrote, I also wanted to mention that you inspired me to give my three best friends stocks from companies that they all love, presumably as holiday gifts. Love, love that, Troy. I think they will get a kick out of it. You also said it was funny that you mentioned Band of Brothers, Why We Fight on that recent podcast. You said, I actually watched just that episode for my first time, had watched it the night before. And lastly, Troy wrote, Thank you for putting Dylan Lewis in touch with me. I hope to contribute to foolery as much as I can. Have a great holiday. Troy. So that was written quite early this month, reflecting on the holidays. A couple things I want to mention at the end of that one. So Troy writes for The Motley Fool, and that's something that you can do if you're interested in doing it. This comes from a very bright, no doubt, a precocious student, a junior in college. He's at Richmond. I got to meet him because I was the leader in residence at the University of Richmond the previous calendar year. And Troy goes to the Jepson School of Leadership Studies, which is where I got to give a couple talks and enjoyed meeting him and others. Um, so, but but I wanted to make the point that if you're interested in writing for the Motley Fool, 
Uh, we're interested in talking about that with you. We have a lot of freelancers, a lot of contractors, not just nationwide, but globally. So, if this speaks to you, let me just give you the details. Just email us. rbi at fool.com is our email address. We'd love to hear from you. Now, what we're particularly looking for are people who have an edge or an angle. They know an industry or particularly technology very well. They add that specialist's expertise. Uh, but knowing Troy, he's more of a generalist, as, I'm, as am I. And so, really, anybody who has a love of our subject is invited to contribute. Mailbag item number two. So, this is not just mailbag item number two. This is number two, three, four, five, six, and they're all reflecting on our episode two weeks ago. Now, this was the David's Biggest Losers Volume Two. I'm making this a habit. I'm looking forward to doing this each year. I did it at the start of last year, looking back on just my worst mistakes as an investor. And for those of you listening two weeks ago, you know that it was reflecting on the previous three years. So, a number of thoughts shared back, and I'm sharing them out right now. So, let's start with a simple one. This is from Andy Sorensen, at Sorensen underscore Andy on Twitter. Andy wrote, Thanks for the greatest losses episode. Helped put my own portfolio in perspective. And Andy, yeah, anytime I'm out there talking about my biggest losers and they're all down like 70, 80 percent, and that's just three year returns, it is nice to see GoPro bouncing back about 10 percent today for whatever reason. Anyway, yeah, I hope that helps put your own losses in perspective, and I hope my losses are worse than yours. The next one, number three, this one came in from Jay Newman, my good friend Jay Newman. Jay, you wrote, David, I especially liked your worst picks episode in that it was particularly educational, contextual, and candid. My question for you today, for the purpose of expanded discussion, is to discuss how many of your biggest losers, or why any big losers for that matter, are still active recommendations, buys in their respective service. And given that you almost always, in your words, add to your winners, why would members buy a loser? In other words, when does big loser equal sell? Thanks as always, and fool on. So, while I don't actually have all six of those picks in front of me right now, and my memory is so bad that two weeks later I can't even tell you all six of them, by the way, I tend to start forgetting my losers pretty quickly, which is, I like to think, a psychologically healthy habit. Anyway, I'm pretty sure almost all of those remain active recommendations in their respective services. So, to your more general question, Jay, the answer is, yes, I continue to hold out hope. I'm generally the investor who keeps holding uh, for a long time, um, longer than most people. And that means I'll hold losers longer than most. And no doubt, looking backward, um, some of our members, quicker triggers, smarter than I am, will say things like, hey, Dave, I, I sold that one two years ago. Why are you still holding it? And the answer is that uh, just as I tend to hold my winners for really long periods of time, it can be true of my losers as well. And also, when a company like GoPro, which is still a nationwide brand, which is, I think, still a promising company, when it drops so much in value, I don't feel bad at all with new members joining, let's say, Rule Breakers, where GoPro is covered, who would buy some GoPro as an active recommendation if it is. Sometimes we take stocks, those who use Rule Breakers and Stock Advisor, you know, sometimes we take stocks off the ice, we put them in the penalty box, using hockey analogy. And uh, so, when we have stocks in the penalty box, we don't think you should buy those recommendations. But uh, for ones that remained on our active buy list, yeah, I keep thinking, well, you're going to get a much better price than I did uh, when you buy some of these stocks. That said, we tend not to, as you well know, Jay, add to losers. Therefore, if you already have a down and out position in one of these stocks, as I do, for example, in FireEye, 
I'm not adding to FireEye. And that's just true of how I invest and how I would recommend you do the same. So, um, thank you for a good question. And we got to keep moving with so many items. There's a lot more to say on the subject, but I think I've said it in some past podcasts, and no doubt we'll cover this terrain in future together. Number four comes from Salvatore Graziano at Blaze Graziano on Twitter. And Salvatore, you wrote, painful reminder of FireEye purchase. Sometimes picks don't work. The lesson I take, you wrote, is to accept some losers to find bigger gains. Well put, Salvatore. Number five, again, all reflecting on the Biggest Losers episode, Mark Fitzgerald, very faithful correspondent, at MP underscore Fitzgerald on Twitter. Mark, you wrote, great episode on how and why solid investing theses can go wrong. It's part of the risk we take as investors. Double underscore what you said as well, Mark. Appreciate you saying it. And now, number six, our last one reflecting on on that episode. And this is a longer one, and I want to share it back. I kind of saved it to last, because in some ways, it's the most interesting and most complex of the responses. So, this one comes from James Leary, and it arrived by email. So, James wrote, Sir, I love and trust The Motley Fool because of its mission and those working to implement that mission. With that said, I was disappointed when I heard your podcast titled, David's Biggest Losers. Calling any stock pick loser simply because it failed to beat the market, is at odds with the fool's mission. In 2014, my wife and I were able to purchase a house in large part because of your recommendation of Westport Innovations. Now, I need to pause it right here. This is a shocking line for me to read. Westport Innovations, one of my biggest dogs, one of my biggest loser picks in Motley Fool Stock Advisor, a stock that lost more than 80% of its value, somehow James Leary Great job, James. You managed to parlay that into a winner for you. We'll cover shortly why, but this is this is very any of those five or six stocks I talked about two weeks ago. Imagine if I got a note some months hence from somebody who says, "Thank you for that great pick. It helped me buy a house." So this is a shocking line for me to read. So James continues at the time you recommended Westport, my investment planning stopped at my pension and automatic contributions to a retirement program. However, the way that you talked about Westport Innovations helped me to understand how exciting it could be to invest not in a company rather than a stock. Based on your advice, I purchased my first individual stock, Westport Innovations. While I would lose money on this stock, I more than made up for it with Starbucks, Tiffany, Under Armour, eBay, etc. Ah, so now you see the twist. It was a loser for James. I'm sure as the stock got down into the low single digits, it had days or months where it would have bounced back, maybe 50%. Uh, but it was it was truly a bad pick on my part. Anyway, I, I love the point here, James. You said, while Westport may have lost value, it helped me to invest better. As such, I don't see how you could call it a loser. He goes on, as a member of the Army, I've always had an admiration for the Motley Fool. As you have observed yourself, being in the Army is more than a job. It is a set of core values. You live all day, every day. It is rare to see a company that values its mission so deeply that it affects not only how its employees work, but how they live. Based on all the other podcasts, I can tell you that you've done this at the Motley Fool. However, these values can easily erode when those at the top fail to adhere to them. While I understand that you want stock picks to beat the market, their true value is not in whether or not the stock price increases or decreases, but in whether it, quotes, helped the world to invest better. 
While the point of this specific episode, Everyone Has Losers Keep Investing, certainly adheres to The Fool's mission, its tone does not. I was hurt to know that you would consider the stock pick that made me invest better a loser. With this said, I also have no solution for the nomenclature. The title's catchy. I'm willing to bet it had more downloads than other episodes. While I would not change the name of the podcast, I would appreciate a brief nod to the fact that The Motley Fool is more than just a stock-picking company. Signed, James Leary. Wow. In a mailbag-full episode where I'm admittedly rushing somewhat to get to all of your great entries, that's a really thoughtful, it's a very lovely statement. James, thank you for your words about The Motley Fool. I do believe them, not because I take it in any way personally, but because I'm surrounded every day by about 300 people around me at Fool HQ who do take our mission very seriously and are there to serve. And so, just as you are there to serve all of us and you take your mission seriously, I think we're simpatico on that point. By no means do I mean to suggest that when I make a bad pick, which I do, that it is a loser, capital L, or that I am, or you are, a loser for buying it. I guess, from my standpoint, I'm trying to convey that it's good to talk about the things that haven't worked for us. I remember mentioning on that episode, how often will you see that on CNBC or in Barron's or the Wall Street Journal? Infrequently do I find investment professionals talking much about what they've lost. The ones that I love, people like Peter Lynch and Warren Buffett, I partly love for that reason. So, I'm definitely not trying to denigrate any single stock or any single effort. I am trying to convey that this is part of the game. And I think a few of the other mailbag responses put it better than I did when they say, as Salvatore Graziano did, the lesson I take is to accept some losers to find bigger gains. Anyway, thanks for a great note. And I will do my best to continue to be a steward of The Motley Fool's values. Okay, now we're going to move away from that episode and forward into our Fool mailbag. Mailbag item number seven kind of still skates in that direction, but helps us transition back. This one comes from, I don't think it's the real one, but at CubaGooding9 on podcast. So, CubaGooding, thanks a lot for uh, for listening. And uh, this one just said, hey, if everyone bought shares, would this not drive the price down? Opposite of housing market, eventually price sets, no demand. So, this is a really good question. It's kind of counterintuitive at first, because you're writing, if everyone bought shares, would this not drive the price down? And clearly, if everyone's buying shares, that drives the price up. If we're all jumping over each other to buy shares of a company, that creates massive demand. The supply is limited, therefore the price goes up. But I know what you're conveying is if everyone already owns shares, if all of us own a given stock, if everyone believes in a great stock, doesn't that mean the stock would go down? And the answer is generally yes. It's a good point. And so, uh, I don't think we ever do reach a state where everybody does own a stock, but if you think of it that way, there are only sellers left. And so, clearly, uh, the stock is going to have a hard time rising much more. Now, I want to flip that around for a quick sec and talk briefly about the so called wall of worry. Now, if you're a dyed in the wool, long time investor, you've heard this concept before, but not everybody has. And as I get older, maybe I start using old saws that really are old saws. So, maybe it is one of those old saws, but I want to make sure I explain it briefly. So, the concept of great stocks climbing a wall of worry works like this. You know, if, if a lot of us are skeptical as some new technology or company comes along, or some visionary who's you know just dropped out of college and how can you really trust that? In a world of great, experienced CEOs like Warren Buffett at Berkshire, or let's say Jim Sinegal when he was at Costco, um, why would you take a risk on this? And so, there's a lot of worry, there's a lot of doubt that when Steve Jobs says, 
I'm going to create Apple Computer. There's a lot of doubt initially. Now, there are certainly venture capitalists there who are willing to take a shot, but there's worry about that when Amazon starts or goes public without any profits. But over the course of time, what happens is some of those skeptics become believers. And so, all those people who are off on the sidelines start to come forward. And let's use a really silly metaphor. Let's go with the human pyramid. Can't remember the last time I did one of those. I'm sure we've all done it at some point in our lives. You know, you get down on all fours and then somebody's on top of you and you're creating that pyramid. That's kind of like what happens as people come into the market and start to believe. And so a wall is being built as people who would not buy the stock before now, as the company's gotten a little bit bigger, a little bit better known, all of a sudden they're saying, I will be an owner of that stock too. And so you've created a wall of worry. And that's what great stocks do. They kind of march up that wall of worry over time. So that's the flip side of Cuba Gooding's question about, hey, if everyone owns the shares, wouldn't that drive the price down? To which I say, yes, it would. I wanted to show both sides of that. Mailbag item number eight. This one comes from at GLS underscore law on Twitter. You simply wrote, Hi, David, what was the name of the startup book you name dropped in one of your recent podcasts? Thanks. So that was the Startup Playbook. It's by Sam Altman. Sam is the founder, one of the founders of Y Combinator, and a very well known young man. So it's his book, and I mentioned that I'd read a little bit of it. Like a lot of business books, I haven't read all of it. I tend to read about a third of business books and then just keep moving. Some I actually do finish, but um, I, I, I certainly think that Sam's book would be worth finishing. But because I'm no longer in startup mode in my own head, or really at the life stage of our company, it wasn't as relevant. Therefore, I read some good stuff and kept moving. By the way, let me mention that that came out of one of the podcasts where I was interviewing a guest. And I heard Troy's good words earlier about interviews. And it is something that I enjoy doing on this podcast. There's not always enough room for me to get in my points about stocks and talk to guests. So I will say this in 2017, I'm going to think about ways that I might be able to more consistently interview others as well as doing what I do here on the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast. Okay, mailbag item number nine. Love this one. This is from Linda Queen. Linda, at GoldenGirl2362 on Twitter. Linda, you said, David, how do you take off your rule breaker's hat when picking stock advisor stocks? Or do you? Talk about your stock advisor mindset, please. So, really briefly, I think a lot of you may already know Motley Fool's stock advisor or rule breakers. Um, if you don't, I hope you'll take a look and consider a 30 day free trial to those services. But um, I pick stocks and have for both. I started in March of 2002 on Motley Fool Stock Advisor. I've picked one stock every single month ever since. And then in October 2004, when we started Motley Fool Rule Breakers, I picked two stocks a month in that service, and I've done that ever since. So I'm picking three stocks a month, um, 36 stocks a year. And I used to say for almost 10 years now, but now it's getting closer to uh, a baker's dozen. And so it's a natural question to ask, Linda. And I know that you are not just a subscriber of both services, but you are a value contributor. You're one of our supernauts in Supernova. So you know The Motley Fool better than most. And if you're asking this question, then I'm sure many who don't know The Motley Fool as well would be wondering the same thing. So, from my standpoint, as I look over three potential stocks to pick each month, I will typically start with my stock advisor stock. Now, that's my longest running service, and Motley Fool Stock Advisor reaches more people than any other thing that we do here at the Motley Fool. In fact, we think with the number of subscribers that that service has, we believe it is the largest service of its kind 
on planet Earth in the entire world. So we have hundreds of thousands of people who subscribe to Motley Fool Stock Advisor, and so I'm generally thinking about which of my stock ideas will apply most generally to the most people. I'll usually go a little safer, or maybe a little bit better known. We'll usually be taking a little less risk, and of my three picks, I'll usually slot that one there. Then, with my rule breakers hat on, I'll look over the others that I have left. I'll look at edgier companies. Sometimes I'll look at faster growers. I'll look at ones whose technology is harder to explain to a mass audience. Sometimes emerging technologies. And I also want to point out that a lot of the stock picking I do in Motley Fool Rule Breakers is being done with my team. So, in the case of Rule Breakers, in contrast to Stock Advisor, I have a team of five others who lob in their ideas as well. So, much of the time, with rule breakers, I'm actually fielding other people's ideas, bouncing them off against each other, and trying to figure out which has the most merit for that issue of rule breakers. So I hope that helps a little bit. Peel back the curtain and show how we do what we do and how I do what we do here at the Fool. I'll say this: I'm really proud that both services are beating the market. Stock Advisor has been around longer; it's beating the market by more, which is kind of interesting. But each has its own separate purpose, and I love all my children. Mailbag item number ten. This one comes from Arash Radparvar at Arad Parvar on Twitter. Arash, you wrote, "I understand the power of compounding. What I'm confused about is how compounding applies to the stocks which do not pay dividends. The value of those stocks are merely a reflection of the stock price at any given time. So, unless one's portfolio contains dividend stocks, that person is not benefiting." You wrote from compounding. Can you clarify? Thank you again. Well, sure. What I really mean by compounding is the overall returns of a stock allowed to compound over years. So I think Aras, you were focused on the idea of you know dividends, the payments that you get as an owner on an annual basis for owning that stock, the direct payments of cash the company makes to you as a dividend investor. And that's a wonderful thing to have, but you're absolutely right. Most of my stocks don't pay dividends. We do have a lot of stocks. I have over 200 under coverage, so we do have a lot of stocks that pay dividends, but the majority, I think, probably don't. But the point of compounding is, we're talking about the overall return. So, you do the, how did the stock do, and then add in how the dividend did. That would give you your overall return for all stocks, whether they pay dividends or not. And the stock market's typical average of 9-11% to per year. This all is whether we're adding dividends or not, and when you're starting to count, when you're stopping counting, that's why there's no firm exact number that you can say this is what the stock market does every year. But that 10%-ish return annually comes from all stocks, and we're trying to beat that as investors. And the best way that I can think to beat that over time is by picking excellent companies, not buying the entire market, and letting those gains compound over time by not doing what most people do, which is sell them too early. Or trade too frequently. So I hope that helps explain that. Thank you for your question, Arash. Mailbag item number 11. This comes from Nick Fuller at Nick in Savannah on Twitter. You wrote, Nick, what Motley Fool services get me the golden ticket to Fool Fest? These are nice hashtags. Hashtag Mecca of Investing. Hashtag Life Goals. Well, that's really wonderful. Thank you, Nick. So, we have our so-called what we call back-end services here at the Motley Fool. These are our higher price services. So, Motley Fool Stock Advisor and Rule Breakers, those are more front-end services uh, facing people who are just coming new to The Motley Fool. For people who've been around longer or want to pay us, hey, we love this as a business, want to pay us more each year, um, that's who gets an invitation to Fool Fest. So, those services include Motley Fool Supernova, which has been open this most recent month, Motley Fool Pro, Motley Fool Options, 
Motley Fool Million Dollar Portfolio and Motley Fool One. And if you are a member of those services, you generally get a ticket to Fool Fest. Now, you still have to pay your way up. Well, I guess if it's from Savannah or wherever you are, we have people flying sometimes from around the world. We have hundreds of fools on an annual basis come to Fool Fest. We're looking forward to doing it again this year. So that's one way in. And if it doesn't work for you this year, Nick, we look forward to seeing you a year from now, or five years from now, or ten, or whenever that works for you. Thanks for asking. All right, two final items for this month's mailbag, and maybe the two best of all. But before we go there, I need to pay the piper. This episode of Rule Breaker Investing is brought to you by Shore Payroll. If you're a small business owner, you know payroll can be a headache, and small businesses pay hefty fines on a yearly basis due to payroll oversights. Shore Payroll started in the year 2000 as the first company to offer an entirely online payroll solution. Their customers include a range of businesses like dental offices, insurance agents, restaurants, barbershops, charitable foundations, tech startups, the list goes on. They make it easy and affordable to manage your small business payroll online so you can focus on your business instead of worrying about late fees and fines. Go to shorepayroll.com slash fool and fill out a free quote form. That's shorepayroll.com slash fool. We thank Shore Payroll for its support. Mailbag item number 12. So, last week's podcast, Great Stocks Don't Make You Think, I asked you, what's your great stock? And I said, tweet it back to us, give us a ticker, give us your one-liner about why it's a great stock that really doesn't make you think. And for anybody who didn't listen to last week, and you're kind of wondering what that was about, the idea is that if you really size up the age in which you live, the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist, you say, you know, what was happening during my lifetime, and what were the obvious stocks, in retrospect, the obvious stocks that I should have owned? I think a lot of us would say the internet was born during our lifetime. So, the move to Commerce, e commerce, that's a very significant thing. So, you'd love to think you should own Amazon stock. And the earlier, rather than use the past tense, let's talk about the future. The earlier that you and I recognize what's happening in our world and become part owners of these stocks, I think the better off we're going to do. Now, we will have some big losers. I covered that earlier. But this is really about the great stocks of a generation and trying to make sure that we, as fools, capital F, have these in our portfolio. So I asked, what's your great stock? And give me the one liner, because that's all it should take. It should take like one line, not even an elevator pitch, one line to kind of convey why. Can't not be thinking, of course, of Dustin Hoffman, great scene from The Graduate. If you've seen the movie, you know it. It's kind of the plastics moment. So I have a bunch of these and if I spend any time commenting, this would be the longest podcast in Motley Fool history. So I'm really just going to share it out. If you are near a pen or pencil or your computer, get ready because I'm about to fire out a lot of different stock ideas. And so this is extra fun for me as well. So thank you in advance for our Rule Breaker Investing podcast listeners and all your great ideas. And in no particular order, here comes some that I thought were great Vince Granary at Granary V, Facebook. Dominant platform in social media. Frank DiPietro at FRDIP. Zillow is a great stock because it has 75% of mobile real estate views and approximately 30% growth in premier agent spend. Vicki Bushnell at Tiger Spark. KMI Kinder Morgan, natural gas terminal or toll booth business with regulated barriers to entry. Zach Miller 
at ZMills12, Google, or Alphabet, if you will, the world's go-to source for all things information. Patrick Pafuma at EM in Focus, Digital Realty Trust, that's DLR, a real estate investment trust for the cloud hardware. Next, Justin Potts at VT Potts 33, Markel, MKL, Baby Berkshire, Compounding Machine. Daniel Judah at Daniel R. Judah, Rollins, that's R O L, Boring Industry, Everybody Needs It, plus Motley Fool Stock Advisor Pick. By the way, that would be one of my brothers. Lono Capital at Lone underscore Oak underscore Inva. Starbucks, find a product people aren't willing to go without, then sell it everywhere at a spectacular markup. And Starbucks inspired one other as well, this one from JJ Carr at JP Kerygma. Starbucks, a great and well-known brand at every corner. Hope you're enjoying these. Sorry I'm not commenting in between, but let's keep going because we're about a third of the way through. These are, these are great stocks and great ideas. Linda Queen, making a return visit on this podcast from earlier in this same podcast. Linda, Apple, you said simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Quoting, apparently, Leonardo da Vinci. Hashtag, great stocks don't make you think. Thank you, Linda. The next one, I've got a threefer. DJR at DR973 had three to share. Whole Foods, pioneer, healthy, organic market leading with conscious capitalism. Another, Mercado Libre, the Amazon slash eBay of South America. And Disney, the king of entertainment with multiple avenues of growth. Hold and don't. Hashtag let it go. And piggybacking right on that, Paul Essen at Paul underscore Essen, as well with Disney, quote, for seemingly owning all of the great entertainment franchises. Next one up, Madhu Shankar at K Madhu Shankar, Costco. Consistently delighted shareholders, customers, suppliers, and employees. Tobin Anthony at Tobin Anthony, Middleby. You simply wrote, because I trust in Salim. And while I said I wouldn't really comment, I do feel like I need to explain that Salim Basul is the CEO of Middleby. And a lot of people, I included, who own Middleby stock, even though we don't keep up with the kitchen commercial oven business that well. And because this business over the course of time has been so acquisitive that it owns many different products in and around and even sometimes outside the kitchen, you are kind of trusting in the jockey in this case. So I get it, Tobin. And it's worked pretty well so far. The next two are both about the same stock, just like we had two on Starbucks and two on Disney earlier. Here come, unsurprisingly, perhaps Amazon. Nate Mercik at Nate the Blade said, Jeff Bezos sees where the puck is going, not where it's been. And Sound Investments at Sound underscore Invements said, Amazon because they continue to innovate and aren't afraid to fail while being the most customer-centric company on planet. How about three to close? Ryan McIntyre at Ryan McIntyre, Activision Blizzard. Why? Gamers aren't dying anytime soon, plus esports. 
one of the better handles on all of Twitter, at Furby of Death. And, oh, I should have paired this earlier because this is another hail back to a stock. This was Costco. You said integrity, value, and a retailing strategy better than Amazon. Hmm. And close it all out. A nice one to close on from Dan Schmidt at Small Cap Danny. 3M. Why? Because duct tape. Well, a lot of ideas in just a little time, but a lot of wonderful wisdom. And indeed, looking backward, had we all owned these stocks over the last 10 years, we'd have a pretty awesome portfolio. But we're not looking backward, we're looking forward. Great stocks shouldn't make you think. Thank you, fellow fools. And I saved this one for last. So, this was an email that I got earlier this week from a Motley Fool member whose screen name is Radfaro2020. And he's re- reacting to our Great Quotes Volume 5, in which I shared that wonderful Calvin Coolidge quote about persistence. So, Eric wrote, David, I have to tell you that the quote by Calvin Coolidge literally gave me goosebumps and then a giant lump in my throat as it had been over 20 years since I first heard this quote read aloud. You see, I was a struggling electrical engineering student at Clarkson University at the time, and Professor Abdul Konker was trying to convince me not to switch majors when he read it to me. There was something about hearing this quote read in the professor's heavy accent in a fatherly tone that stuck with me and gave me the inspiration to finish what I started. To be fair, keeping score, I graduated on academic probation with an overall cumulative average of 2.75, but I did graduate. Although I never actually used my engineering degree professionally, having it opened many doors that would have otherwise been locked tight as Fort Knox. I have never told Professor Conker of the importance of this conversation. However, your podcast motivated me to look him up and contact him to thank him for the positive impact he made on my life. So here it is once more to close. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. The slogan, press on, has solved and always will solve the problems of the human race. Signed, Eric, class of 92, Clarkson University, class of 2013, The Motley Fool. To Eric, to Professor Abdul Konker, to every fool who shared a great stock this week, and to all of you for this replete mailbag, thank you and fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rulebreaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.